0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 294. We're getting closer and closer to episode 300, in which what I've done the past two times I've hit that 100 episode mark is do a recap of the last 100 episodes. What did we cover? What were the more popular episodes? What have I learned? How has the podcast changed? I did that for episode 100 and also episode 200, so stay tuned for that in the coming week or so. But this episode, before we get into Spider-Man, I want to talk a little bit and put a plug in for last episode where I highlighted some comments from Elon Musk, and he's been making these comments here lately with some regularity, and it's great to see. As a father of seven myself with an eighth on the way, it is really good to see somebody in the mainstream drawing attention to this. The earth is not overpopulated. If anything, we're looking at a demographic implosion. People need to have more children. Not just because of what it's going to do politically and economically if we don't, but also because of what it does socially. What is the consequence culturally if we don't believe that there is another generation coming up to inherit what it is that we're building? It changes the way we contribute or don't, more to the point, to future generations if we don't have children, if we're not expecting children. But along those lines, as I said in last episode, Elon Musk has seven children. But also, another interesting thing, I was listening to Dan Jones' The Plantagenets. It's one of the books in my queue right now. I finished up his history of the Knights Templar late last year. Actually, that was the last book that I read out of 52, one for every week of the year in 2021. But I'm now reading his book on the Plantagenets, which is this dynasty of English monarchs, kings and queens of England and the British Isles and all that. And early on in the Plantagenets, there is an extended session on Eleanor of Aquitaine. No history of England is complete, no history of England or France is complete without a treatment of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor of Aquitaine was queen of France for 15 years before her marriage was annulled by the Pope. And <clears throat> the basis for that annulment was that her and her first husband, the King of France, did not get on. They did not get along. And part of that, I think, was because she was so out in front. She went with him on the second crusade and all kinds of rumors swirled around, which he was more worried about than he was worried about her. And she didn't produce a male heir. Those were the two big things. Rumors abounded, and she didn't give him a son. She gave him two daughters, but no sons, and so the marriage is annulled. And she comes up with a very crafty political solution to continue on to continue on being a feature in the world, and she basically courts the soon to be King of England. He's not quite King of England yet, but she asks him to come and marry her. Henry, Henry II of England, he will become, but she courts Henry, who is 15 years her junior, and he wastes no time. He marries her, and they very shortly have a son which is something known to us in modern times for all the flack that women have gotten throughout history for not producing a son it really actually is the male's contribution that decides whether you're going to have a, a baby boy or a baby girl it's not the woman who decides whether it's going to be a boy or a girl it's it's the man essentially So Eleanor of Aquitaine with her second husband ends up having a son, and so thereby proving that she was not defective. Uh, If she wasn't having any sons before, perhaps her first husband was defective, or perhaps there's nothing wrong with having daughters. (laughs) That's also a valid explanation. But my wife is listening to this book, as I'm working on laundry, I was folding, sorting laundry, and she's trying to rest, being on her feet, being at the conclusion of this pregnancy. And so she's listening, and the part of this book is talking about Eleanor of Aquitaine, and my wife wanted to know how many children did she end up having. And so she looked it up. Eleanor of Aquitaine had five sons and three daughters with Henry II of England. Before that, she had two daughters with Louis VII of France. So, as much of a player as she was on the world stage, going on a crusade, being the mother of the great crusader, the famous Richard the Lionheart, Richard I of England, Eleanor of Aquitaine, had all of these children and didn't seem to hold her back. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Something to think about, as always. Lived to the age of 82, by the way. Born 1122. Died 1204, they do believe. But as for the main topic of Today's podcast. I committed several episodes ago to doing a podcast treatment of the latest Spider Man movie. And I'll tell you on the front end don't listen to the rest of this podcast. Stop now if you don't want spoilers, because I don't know how much to tell you and how much to not tell you if I'm going to try to not so called spoil the movie. I would highly recommend this film, and rather than not listening to this episode, you should just pause it right now, go watch the movie, come back, and listen to the rest. Unless you're committed to not watching the movie, and you don't care either way, but you're curious about the commentary, in which case, you were warned, and here we go. Spider-Man No Way Home did a number of things which were very refreshing. First of all, and this is by no means the most important, but it is a pet peeve of mine. I don't like when movies are rebooted in living memory of some other rendition. I just don't like that. When I was in high school and going into college, those years, I remember... The original Spider Man trilogy starring Tobey Maguire as Spider Man. Kirsten Dunst was Mary Jane Watson, and William Defoe was the Green Goblin, and Tobey Maguire was Spider Man. And it worked, and it was charming, and it was action packed, and it was funny at points and it was well-made, and it was interesting, and I I enjoyed those movies. That's what a movie should be, in my opinion, is it should be thought-provoking. You should feel something. It should have some meaning and some purpose. It doesn't have to be super, super heavy. It doesn't have to always be absolutely brilliant, but it should have some substance, and it would be nice if it had some fun to it as well. If you could laugh, if you can cry, if you can move the needle emotionally watching this, if it can give you something to think about, something to take away that may be helpful, if it's just a good time but it's not going to pollute your heart and it's not going to pollute your mind, then I'll probably go watch it. I'll want to watch it the first time and if it works out, I'll recommend it. Then, while the cast of the first three movies is still around, still alive, you get these new Spider-Man flicks. First off, you get Andrew Garfield. He's a new Spider-Man. And you've got Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. And you've got some other good actors, right? Some other solid actors, Solid movie making, solid CGI, and and all that, right? It, you know, it, it worked, but it wasn't the cast of the first three films, and the cast of the first three films was still around, and so it's like Buddy the Elf in the department store when fake Santa comes to ask the kids what they want for Christmas. You're not the real Santa you smell like beef and cheese. (laughs) You stink. You know, you're not the real Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire is the real Spider-Man. Who are you, right? And you watch, and and I did. I've watched, I think, pretty much all. I don't know of any that I've missed thus far of the superhero flicks. Not because they're all great, but just because I'm kind of a a nerd, and I enjoy those, and I want to be able to say that I've seen them and see how they fit and how they compare and analyze them and all that. But the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films, were they were okay. They weren't my favorite. I didn't like them as much as the three starring Tobey Maguire. I think directed by Sam Raimi, all of them were. But then Andrew Garfield, he doesn't seem all that old and dusty or what have you. But then they reboot again, right? So not just one reboot, two reboots within the course of my teenage years through 30s. And that just seems like too much. I'm like, what in the, why, right? Like, can't you just pick one and stick with it? But they don't. And to be fair, Tom Holland has been a great Spider-Man. He's done a good job. He's an enjoyable actor to watch, and the rest of the cast are enjoyable to watch. And I really, really enjoy the way that the Spider-Man franchise starring Tom Holland was integrated into the rest of the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. Spider-Man getting to know Iron Man, and Iron Man kind of taking him under his wing and mentoring him and giving him assistance and guidance and all that like it's great and then you have spider-man showing up in the avengers movies and it's just it's really good storytelling besides being a fun movie it's really really good storytelling and the character development is there and you you have a richness there which too many people who just swear off superhero films, comic book films, miss out on, I think. They assume that they know all that there is to know, all they care to know about what's going to be in these films. And there's actually some depth. But still, right, all the same, the suspension of disbelief is right out the window for me. Having watched Toby Maguire, and then Andrew Garfield, and then tom holland and again spoiler alert but you were warned spider-man no way home deals with that and essentially what you have is all of those three spider-men showing up together and the villains from all three of those spider-man franchises showing up together in the same movie. And you would ask, well, how does that work? How does that make sense? Because of this little thing called string theory, this little thing called the multiverse. Parallel dimensions, parallel universes. Basically, in a parallel dimension, Spider-Man is Tobey Maguire. And in another Spider-Man is Andrew Garfield. And in another, Spider-Man is Tom Holland. And there are all of these different universes and all of these different Spider-Men. And this becomes clear when Spider-Man, played by Tom Holland, asks for a little bit of help from Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is sorcerer supreme and magical and this should be a cautionary tale. Kids, don't do magic. Just like Scruff McGruff when I was a kid, Saturday morning cartoons, that commercial played over and over and over again. Hey kids, don't do drugs. Hey kids, don't do magic. Don't ask the Dr. Strange in your neighborhood for a little bit of help with your problem. Because what Spider-Man, what Tom Holland, what Peter Parker does, is he asks Doctor Strange to cast a spell which is going to cause everybody in the world to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But then, uh, as if to underscore the fact that he really hasn't thought this through, as Doctor Strange is weaving this spell and casting this spell, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man slash Tom Holland is telling Doctor Strange to throw in all these qualifiers. Well, make sure that MJ still knows. Make sure that my friend Ned still knows that I'm Spider-Man. That's really important. And also, my Aunt May, she should still know. Basically, all of the people who knew that I was Spider-Man before Mysterio, they should still know. And what ends up happening is, as Peter Parker is changing the spell that Dr. Strange is casting. He destabilizes it. It causes a wobble that reverberates throughout the multiverse. And in order for Dr. Strange to contain that spell that would have ripped their universe apart, basically, a connection between these parallel dimensions is opened. And what gets through is villains from the other Spider-Man universes and also other Spider-Men. And for one thing, that's interesting. I mean, objectively, even if I didn't have a problem, which I do call it a pet peeve, but I really don't like reboots, Really, especially if you've got a, a decent cast, a good cast, good thing going, just keep making them, right? Just keep making them or stop, or do something different, but don't don't get a new cast, really messes with the suspension of disbelief thing. Aside from that, though, it's, it's a really interesting way to go with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it really opens up basically infinite possibilities because anything, any mistake that you made <clears throat> in your storytelling, you can essentially undo by drawing on an infinite reserve of shuffling the deck. Well, yeah, but then this happened in another parallel universe and then that bled through into this universe and now it's undone. Now it's this other way. But I really don't want to spend too much time on that. The parallel universes thing... It's interesting, there's some scientific theory there that, again, is very interesting. As a Christian, just putting Marvel Cinematic Universe aside, superhero flicks aside for a moment, as a Christian, I believe we have in the biblical narrative heaven and hell and the earth, and people wonder, well, where is heaven, right? I look up there, we sent satellites out there, we sent men into orbit and to the moon, and we don't see it, we don't see any angels out here. I think some Russian cosmonauts back in the heyday of the Soviet Union made comments to that effect. I don't see God up here, see? And they're they're making fun of people who are religious, who do believe in God. And I grin patiently to myself at such jeering because my theory is that your whole quantum physics string theory parallel dimensions thing actually explains that you have parallel dimensions which maybe even look exactly like this heavens and earth but you're not going to see what's in those parallel dimensions you're just not going to, unless you find some gateway and you're not going to find that gateway unless God wants you to, unless God allows you to, unless you find that gateway to the parallel dimension where the angels and the demons are, you're going to see the world as it is right now. And every now and then, sometimes things can come over to us through those portals into parallel dimensions. And if it pleases God, he can take us into one or the other of those parallel dimensions, either heaven or hell as we refer to them. But all of that, again, aside, multiverse, string theory, quantum physics, let's put that to the side for a second. The most interesting and, I think, thought-provoking and meaningful thing about Spider-Man No Way Home, is this subject of identity. Who are you? Who are you really? And just for a compare and contrast, think about Iron Man mentoring Spider-Man. And Iron Man 1, for those of you who never watched that first one, it was great. It was fantastic. It really got the ball off on the right foot, however you want to say it. But Iron Man ends with Tony Stark holding a press conference, and nobody's asking him the question, but he really wants them to ask the question, and when they don't ask the question, he just blurts it out. I am Iron Man. (laughs) What, right? He's an egotist. He's full of himself. He can't help. He's like a Donald Trump type character. He can't help letting everybody know anything good. He's got to brag about it. He wants all the credit. I am Iron Man. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? And of course you see as the series develops, there are consequences for his telling everyone that he is Iron Man. Tony Stark is Iron Man. Then people come back and they want to punish people that are connected to you in your real life and you're not safe when you're out of that suit. But you can't wear that suit all the time. You've got to have a real life too. And one has to wonder if within the MCU, Peter Parker sees Tony Stark having done that, Iron Man playing out that way, and concludes, I don't want that. I don't want that coming back on the people I care about, my friends and family. If that's the case, there needs to be a check Because it obviously gets out of hand. It actually gets more out of hand. I would argue Peter Parker, with his Make a Wish Foundation conversation with Doctor Strange, hurts his loved ones far worse in wanting to undo everybody knowing, everybody in the world knowing that Peter Parker exists to begin with at the very tail end. That's the only way to fix it at the very tail end is I want nobody to even know who Peter Parker is. I won't lie to you. I wept. I wept because you're talking about the annihilation of even the memory of the hero. Not only are they willing to lay down their life, they're willing to be completely and utterly annihilated and I, I don't know how to feel about that. I'm not so sure that that's a good thing. In fact, I think that is more than just a tragedy. I think that's wrong. I think that's a deeply wrong way to go. And there needs to be another entry. There needs to be another installment where that gets fixed. That can't stand. That That is not an okay way to conclude because that's... That's not right. It's one thing to say, "Hey, you know what? Discretion is the better part of valor. You should keep it on the down low that you are this masked hero so that it doesn't hurt your friends and family." That's one thing. And then if it gets out anyways, it's legitimate to try and protect those people somehow some way. Figure it out. But annihilating Spider-Man or him annihilating himself. It's, a, it's almost a kind of suicide. I'm sorry to say it's a kind of suicide that he wished that nobody would even know who he is. There's a homelessness, which of course is the subtitle for this Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. There's no way home because home is where people know who you are. Home is where people know your name and they saw you grow up and they understand your struggles and your needs and your strengths and they know how to encourage you and they know how to keep you accountable. They know how to watch out for you, love you, protect you, help you. And Spider-Man at the end of this movie has no home. And I just think that's not, I think that's not all right. I think that's not okay. I know it's just a story, right? And it's a brilliantly told story, brilliant script, brilliant acting, very, very funny, very original. For anybody who says these superhero films are all the same and da-da-da-da-da-da, no, 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 no. No, this is very original, brilliant. This is modern day fairy tale telling. It's definitely a morality play. There's definitely an Aesop's Fables sort of cautionary note to this. More than just, you know, hey, there's CGI and Spider-Man's getting punched and now he's punching back and, oh, wow, that's cool. No, it's more than just a spectacle. There is something here treating what it means to be a person. There's an existential crisis. A, look, there's some other Spider-Men from other universes who've gone through similar things. Somehow, they're the same person you are. Same quirks, same approach to life. Every universe needed a Spider-Man, apparently. Or at least three did. But there's more. You know that from Spider-Verse. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was also a really fun film. I just don't like this going from absolute fame... And then some people get hurt. And then you annihilate yourself. Note, I don't like that messaging. I don't like that theme. That is not somewhere we can stop and camp out and conclude. In fact, if that's where it ends and that's the end of it, that's irresponsible. I'm, And I mean that. But... Another piece here, what sets this all in motion, possibly destroying the universe, bringing in these villains from parallel dimensions, these alternate U's from parallel dimensions, is Peter Parker's best friends, his girlfriend and his best friend, I should say. MJ and Ned are denied entry into MIT. Very smart. All three of them are very smart. They all three apply probably would have gotten in if not for all the controversy about Spider-Man. Spider-Man's Peter Parker. You guys are friends of Peter Parker's. You've helped him. You're complicit. You are canceled. And actually, that too. That's another interesting theme that gets treated here is cancel culture. Look at cancel culture destroying Spider-Man. You want to know the worst villain In Spider-Man No Way Home, cancel culture. It's not Doc Ock. It's not Electro. It's not Green Goblin. The biggest villain in Spider-Man No Way Home is cancel culture. But I find myself sitting there and thinking to myself, we really care too much about a college education. If Spider-Man is willing to destroy the universe possibly, not that he knew on the front end that that was what was going to happen, but if he's willing for the universe to possibly be jeopardized, the fabric of reality, so his friends can get into college. I think we maybe care too much about college. I think we maybe prioritize college too highly. You get... Turned down from the school you really wanted to go to. And you think your life is over. So just annihilate yourself. Your whole identity was wrapped up in that. Your friends' worth in your eyes. Their whole future was all wrapped up in that. No. That's stupid. That's so stupid. That's so dumb. That's so dumb. And Doctor Strange for his part. Like... What? I mean I really I realize you're a doctor, so you went to school, you highly valued school, your identity is all wrapped up in having gone to school for so much. But yeah, be the voice of reason here and say actually it's not the end of the world. I mean it might be the end of the world if we try to fix this through magic, but it's not the end of the world if you and your friends don't get into MIT. Like life will go on. There is life outside of getting into that prestigious institution. But I really, I... It was a wrong call. I'm sorry to critique Spider-Man, Peter Parker here, but wrong call. You made the wrong call. You know what, what would have been a much better, but a much shorter, much less dramatic story? Everybody finds out because Mysterio is a villain who is kind of like social media giants he's going to portray himself as the hero but he's manipulating information selectively editing cutting broadcasting just enough to give you the impression that the hero is the villain and the villain is the hero and then he dies having turned the knife on spider-man spider-man is peter parker peter parker is spider-man What's it to Mysterio except that he just enjoys destroying people? Again, like the mainstream media, like a lot of these villains in real life. So Spider-Man No Way Home starts off on that. Okay, cool. Spider-Man, your Aunt May, your best friend, Ned, your girlfriend are all getting hassled. Do you know what? Deal with it. Here's a novel concept. Deal with it move on. That's life now. That's your new normal. Deal with it. You don't get into MIT? Okay, go talk with the admissions advisor. See if you can plead your case. Maybe you can get it overturned. Start with that. Not start with magic. Not start with mess with the fabric of reality. Start with having a conversation. Pick up the phone. And that actually was really funny in the story. Dr. Strange is like, wait, do you mean to tell me You asked me to fix all this without even picking up the phone and calling first. Oh, you can do that? Uh, yeah. But to be fair, Dr. Strange could have suggested that on the front end. He's not blameless. He's not guiltless in this. He could have suggested, well, just call, right? Just talk with him. Maybe you can appeal to them. Appeal to reason. But he doesn't. Spider-Man slash Peter Parker should have just said, you know what? We didn't get into MIT. This is not my fault. Because it wasn't. It wasn't his fault. What Mysterio did, that's on Mysterio. What MIT's admissions advisors were going to do or not do, that's on them. J. Jonah Jameson, that's on you. People acting the fool, broader society, misbehaving. You can't take responsibility for that. Or it might just destroy you. And it might destroy the people you care about. So what if you don't get into MIT? You don't get into MIT? Here's an idea. <laughs> Marry MJ. You two get married. You got some cool tech. Go take out the bad guys. Target some like really bad mamma who've got some money. I mean it. Like go after the drug cartels, the really bad villains, and to the victor go the spoils. Collect that, plunder, and use that to get yourself a place out in the country. Do what you got to do. Talk with the right people to make sure it's off the grid. Nobody knows where it's at. Set up your family there. Set up your best friends there. Do a little lab or something like that. They can do science. Don't let the bastards grind you down, as Winston Churchill would say. Marry MJ. Settle down. Have a family. Raise some little spider kids. So what if you don't get into MIT? You don't need MIT. To what? To validate you? You're Spider-Man. You're amazing. You don't need validation from MIT. They should get validation from you in any event. I got to run, but it was a very, very good movie. Very interesting. Really, really enjoyed seeing it in theaters for my son Solomon's 12th birthday, December 30th here in Loveland. Really enjoyed the film. I give this one a 10 out of 10. Of course, you can't stop here. You're going to have to deal with and tie up some of these loose ends. You can't stop there. But in any event, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.